Amen. My name is Andrew Burchett. I'm the lead pastor here at Neighborhood Church. And before I start uh, preaching this morning, I've been arguing with Jesus. Do you ever have an argument with Jesus? He always wins, as it turns out. But I, I've, been, I've had this sense all morning that I'm supposed to give something away and, and just... So I, I get this picture of someone who's in, who, you, when you were in high school, you drew, drove a little blue car to school. Is there anybody like that? I just have a CD for you. I want to give you a, a gift this morning, but I don't know if there's anybody here like that. I'm just trying to be obedient and take a risk here. So, ah, uh, wait, there's a couple. Is there more than one? Because I brought two up. Okay, so you br- drove a little blue car? Okay, there you go. And Jill, come and get this from me. So, um, okay, well... Lord, I pray for a special gift of grace on these two. I just believe, Holy Spirit, that you want to wash them with your peace, that the things that they're facing right now are, uh, are not bigger than you. So I pray that as they walk through this week, that this little reminder that you see them, that you love them, that you are paying attention to what their needs are and you're coming through, just like that little blue car that they They drove in high school that you're going to come through and you're going to get them where they're supposed to go. So I pray a blessing on them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, well, great. Well, that was fun. Have a high value for being naturally supernatural here at Neighborhood Church. We want to listen to what the Holy Spirit's saying and then engage. And you know what? Even if there was no one here who, who drove a little blue car, that would be okay because we're learning how to hear God's voice. Speaking of which, yesterday, I wore this teal blue hoodie. They say that everyone looks good in teal. I'm not sure that's the case. I was wearing this teal blue hoodie. I was out in the community, and I walked up to a cash register to talk to the lady behind the cash register. We were finishing up a transaction, and she said, The chosen, it says the chosen on it, by the way. It has the little fishes on it. She says, what's the chosen? And I thought to myself, well, I've got a lot of opportunities on what I might say here. If you don't know what the chosen is, the chosen is a video series. And here's what I told her. I said, well, the chosen is actually the largest crowdfunded media project in the history of the world. She said, wow. I said, yeah. And you know what it's about? No. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And these guys, they wanted to make a series of videos that showed how Jesus walked and what he did. And instead of trying to compress it into one movie where Jesus is like a robot and you're trying to put everything into one movie from his birth to his resurrection, they're taking the time over bunches of seasons to explore who he is because he's God but he's also a man. And he's the kind of guy that I would want to spend time with. In this series, he's kind of funny and he's not sacrilegious, but he's human. And Jesus was God, but he was also human. And you're like, Andrew, you're preaching at this store. But I wasn't preaching. I was just sharing. I'm like, this is what this is. She said, wait a second. I think I downloaded this app on my phone. I said, you did? She said, yeah, it has the fishes on it. I said, yeah. She said, I think I'm going to watch that this week. I said, okay, so how about I come back next week and we talk about what you saw? She said, okay, that sounds great. So I've got an appointment with somebody who works somewhere, who remain nameless, 
just to go and talk to them about what did she think about Jesus. Now, I don't advocate always wearing something that says Jesus on it. You don't have to do that to talk about Jesus. In this case, it happened to bring up a conversation. If you're going to wear something that says Jesus on it, your behavior better reflect him, by the way. You put something on your car with a little fish on the back or some like bumper sticker, you better drive better, by the way. (laughs) By the way, I've been behind some of you. You need to drive better, by the way. (laughs) Reflect Jesus better in your driving. But there are moments in conversations where it's so natural to talk about Jesus. Why? Because my whole life revolves around Jesus. He's the most important thing in my life. Why wouldn't I talk about him? I'm not ashamed of him. He's changed my life. If you're into golf, you ever, you know somebody who's a golfer? Everything, I love golf too, by the way. Oh, I wish I was playing more often. Everything comes back to golf. That's okay. You're passionate about it. If you are into sports, everything comes back to sports. If you're into Jesus, everything comes back to Jesus. And it's not a duty for me to talk about Jesus. It's not like, I guess I should talk about Jesus now. It's the thing that I got to do. It's not a chore. It's like my wife. I love my wife. Next year, it'll be 30 years of marriage. And I don't, I don't think to myself, I need, oh, I guess I should talk about my wife now. I'm like, I'm going to talk about my wife because I'm in a love relationship with her. And in the same way with Jesus, I'm in a love relationship with Jesus. I can't help but talk about him. But I don't talk about him so I can be a pushy salesman about peddling Jesus. I'm not peddling a pound of Jesus. I'm talking and giving a testimony of how good God is in my life. And the more people hear it, the more people go, now, what are you, what are you drinking? What, what is it that you're saying? What is it that you believe? And yet, why rock the boat? Why risk relationship, right? Some of you are really worried about talking about Jesus because you're afraid somebody's going to reject you. They go, oh my gosh, they're a crazy Christian. I'm going to try to distance myself from them. We worry about losing relationship if we talk about Jesus. But I talk about Jesus because I believe he'll change your life. He's not just an idea. He's a person. Lori did a great job preaching 100% God and 100% man. This is Jesus. Jesus is in the life transformation business. Do you believe that? He wants to change your life. It's not like a gym membership. Are you only going to get a little bit of Jesus? I'm going to get that membership, put it in my pocket, and it'll give me rights and privileges to be able to go and work out, get strong spiritually, and you know. But sometimes I just don't go. Anybody who's had a gym membership knows that. Like, I pay these people, and I, yet I don't show up to get in shape. I don't understand that. And Jesus is kind of the same way. You know, oh, I'll just add a little Jesus. That's not true Christianity. It was the Apostle Paul in Romans 1 who says this. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not worried about people knowing I'm a Christian. Because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I don't have, I don't have anything to lose. I'm going to use the name of Jesus. I'm not going to say, well, God said. I'm just going to try to soften the thing. 
The Lord wants, those are all nice words. Jesus is his name. By the way, Jesus is very polarizing. His name is polarizing. I don't just talk about Jesus generically. I talk about Jesus personally. And I'm not going to say I go to church. I'm going to say I'm trying to follow and walk with Jesus. And one of the ways I do that is by meeting up with other people in this building called Neighborhood Church. Paul's saying Jesus wants to change those who have grown up familiar with him, the Jews, and those who don't have a clue who he is. He's just an unknown God in the Gentiles. So whether you grew up in a staunchly Christian home and maybe you're turned off to that God that you saw, that version of God that's not really God, or you had no clue who Jesus is. And by the way, just in case for some of you don't know, I know as we've street pastored, what we, people don't know Jesus from Moses or, or Noah. They don't know, it, like, I don't know who that is. They ha- there's no knowledge of Jesus with so many people in our culture. There's none. It's an unknown God. Most importantly to me, Paul's saying Jesus has the power to change your life. The power to, say, to pay the penalty of death that comes with the sin that is in all of us. It's the power to forgive your sins, to cleanse you. The power to give you gifts and the love that you need to love your neighbor. To give you purpose and perspective. He has power to take you from being a victim to being victorious and an overcomer. And he has the power to adopt you as a son or a daughter and not leave you as an orphan. That's the kind of power that I want people to know about. How do I not tell others about this kind of Jesus that will change your life for the better? If you've discovered the cure to cancer, would you keep it to yourself? No, you'd run around and you'd tell everybody as fast as possible to save as many as possible. The good news of the gospel is that way. So we are going through this current series that I'm calling Discovering the Mysteries of the Kingdom. This is our second to last message. We've flown through this thing. This is all based on a book by author Lynn Corey, who actually joined me on the stage last week. We did a little conversation about loving your neighbor. You can catch that on the YouTubes. And he left some more of his book, Jesus Secrets, out there on the red table if you want to grab one for free. They're there, and you can grab one. Today's message centers around the contents of chapter 7, discovering the secret of spreading the good news. So this morning... This morning's going to be a little different. I had one of my friends pray for me in the back there. They gave me a prophetic word that I was afraid to throw the fastball and that the Holy Spirit was behind the plate. He was calling for a fastball and he needs a fastball. So I'm supposed to let it rip. And this will be a different message altogether. So that's okay. But we're going to consider what does it look like for you to tell other people about Jesus. And at the end, perhaps if you don't know Jesus, I want to tell you how you can know him. My hope that is that you're just going to leave inspired and set free, that this is not a duty. This is an, this is an overflow of the passion of your heart and your relationship with Jesus. And hopefully, I can convince you that Jesus really does have the power to change a life. That's why it's good news. So it doesn't have to be forced when it's what you've experienced and it's this passion that comes out of your heart. Okay. So let me tell you some stories. 
For those of you who don't know me, you're going to get to know me just a little bit better today. I'm going to tell you stories about Andy. Now, Andy used to live in this body. Now he's become Andrew. But Andy grew up here at Neighborhood Church. Andy was in the 600 building across the way where our kids are this morning. Andy was in Sunday school listening to three older ladies who were teaching Sunday school faithfully. They were talking about what it looks like to invite Jesus into your heart. I had no idea how Jesus was going to get that small to go into my heart. But when I heard the message, I heard what they were saying, I thought, this is what I want. And here's what made me want it. I didn't want to be alone. Even in my little thinking, I thought to myself, if you're telling me that wherever I go, I get to take Jesus with me, then I'm in. Because I don't want to be alone. Are you like me, that being alone sounds so scary? In fact, when you think about your future, if you picture yourself alone, that's not a biblical worldview for your future. If you're a Jesus follower, Jesus goes with you no matter what. You should imagine your future with Jesus standing next to you. You're going to feel a lot better about your future. So even as little Andy, I knew in a childlike way, I, wanna, I want Jesus in my heart. I'm adding Jesus to my life. You're going to hear where this is going to grow in me later. One of the ways that you can share the good news of Jesus, this is very simple, is by teaching others. Now, it might be in children's ministry. There's an amazing opportunity. But teaching others about Jesus doesn't just stop at children's ministry. It means that we're willing to share what we know about him. So that teaching role is one way that we can share with others about who Jesus is. But as I got older, as a teenager in the 1980s, my parents had decided to follow Jesus. I'm still Andy, by the way, at this point. Raised in a Christian home. But I'm tuning into my Walkman. That's an old school set of, you know, well, I'm not even going to explain it. Look at the picture. Tuning into music more than I am into authority in my life. I'd rather listen to music and get lost with my friends and music than listen to my parents or anyone else. And many of us are like that. We want to tune all of the authority figures out and figure it out for ourselves. And as a young Christian, Andy was trying to figure it out. But it was because some young adults, some of are in this room right now, who volunteered in youth ministry at this church and said, I want to spend time with Andy. I'll take him out for a Coke. We'll spend time together. We'll do a little Bible study here and there. They're not teaching me as much as they're doing life next to me. They're like a guide on the side. And as I saw their faith, and I saw how real it was for them. I saw someone who wasn't my mom and dad, and I love my mom and dad, God bless them. But young people need another guide on the side. They need someone to show them what it looks like in maybe a younger package. This is what it looks like. And because of your influence, I decided to take my Walkman off long enough to understand that Jesus was more than just a little figure that went into my heart that I would not be ever alone. But Jesus was actually one 
who wanted to walk with me and lead me and personally have a relationship with me in a powerful way. And so it was at summer camp at Alliance Redwoods that I rededicated my life to Jesus, made my faith my own. This is not my parents' faith. This is my faith. My understanding was deepening about who Jesus was. Was he in my heart? Sure. But this was a lordship surrender moment. And in that, at that point, I decided, even though Jesus is in my heart, this is more about following him. I, wanna, I really want to walk, I want to live like him. I want to do life like him. If I didn't have others to guide me on the way, I never would have got there. So another way to share Jesus is to come alongside others who are still trying to figure stuff out, being patient with them, knowing that the Holy Spirit is the one who draws us in. If we lift up Jesus, he leads all men to himself. We just walk alongside and encourage and bless and help. After that camp at Alliance Redwoods, my life was different. The Holy Spirit began rearranging all the furniture in the home of my heart. Jesus had encountered me, and I wanted to live like him. You can be sure that if you've surrendered to Jesus, he will change you from the inside out. He gives you the gift of, your, of his Holy Spirit living inside you. He gives you the power and the love to be able to do all the things that he says in his word. Otherwise, it's a cruel trick to ask you to do things that you don't have the power to do. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside us and begins to change us from the inside out, rewiring our minds, transforming our minds and our thoughts. And Jesus doesn't just kind of start something and then pull back. He's a finishing God. He's the one that finishes what he starts. How do I know that? Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. He's a finishing God. He's not going to start something in your life and go, Well, you kind of you disqualified yourself, so I'm going to pull back from you. Nope. He's a God that stays with you and finishes. So once you invite Jesus in, you surrender and you stop trying to make things happen on your own. It's so refreshing. It's so exhausting to try to make everything happen on your own. And what does God do? He transforms us. He changes us. And then all of a sudden you begin experiencing more peace and joy and perspective and purpose. As I went into my college years, I was still Andy. I fell more in love with Jesus and began learning how to use my gifts, especially in music. I watched him change my heart and the lives of others. In 1990, I made a trip with Chico State to Eastern Europe and Russia. And on that choir tour, as we were singing classical music, I had a roommate. I had several roommates, but this one roommate in particular asked me a lot of questions about why I lived my life the way I did. Phil Christensen was his name. 
And Phil had lots of questions. He was the president of his fraternity, and he was definitely living in a different way than I was. But I didn't pressure Phil. I didn't try to say, Phil, let's sit down and let me just draw some pictures out on where you are and where God is and how you could become Jesus's follower. I just kept answering questions. And, de- and late into the Russian nights as we're laying in bed, he'd say, Andy, what about this? And sometimes I say, Phil, I don't even know that I know the answer to that. But this is what I know about Jesus. And I just kept sharing. After that trip, he came back and we were playing a football game out on the lawn here. And I said, Phil, you want to come play football with us? He said, sure. So we came out, we played a little football. The quarterback was Rich Taylor, the executive pastor. He goes, a pastor's playing football with us young guys? Yeah, Christians have fun too, Phil. It's not like we, we swore off fun when we became Christians. Shortly after, Phil gave his life to Jesus. His life completely began to change from the inside out. Not because someone was saying, now Phil, you better not do this. And now you're a Christian, you shouldn't do that. It wasn't about the rules. It was about relationship that drew Phil into a place of changing his living situation, changing what he was doing and living completely differently. What is Phil doing today? He's a pastor in our district in the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Leading others to faith. You know what I learned through that was that there are kairos moments. These moments that God presents to you out of the blue. And you just, it's just like a window opens and you just jump through the window. And to see what God's doing. When other people ask questions, they are the person of peace that we talked about a few weeks ago. They are a person of peace. If they're asking you a question about spiritual things, stop everything you're doing and answer the question. Share what you know. But let me emphasize, it is not about being the Bible answer man. Why? Because sometimes the most powerful thing to say is, I don't know. Why? Because it's real. I want to be real. Well, I learned that you don't have to be the Bible answer man, but then I tried to be. It was the Nevada County Fair later that summer. And here I was, an intern in youth ministry up the hill, Nevada City. And they said, Andy, still Andy, by the way, we've got a job for you. We're going to have you go and work at our booth about the church. And we just want you to share the gospel with people. Oh, that's fun. I'm talk about Jesus and stuff. So I show up with my 19-year-old vigor. And I'm standing there. And shortly after my shift of four hours, this person walks up. And they begin asking me questions. I thought, oh, this is great. In my college thinking, I'm thinking, this is a person of peace. God must be doing something here. I want to join him in the work. I'm going to answer these questions. So I began answering questions and talking. And then all of a sudden, it became clear that this person wanted to argue with me. And so I was like, okay, I think I know enough stuff to be able to, you know, challenge them and tell them where they're wrong. And I got more and more and more riled up because they didn't believe that Jesus was God. They belong to a group that does not believe in the deity of Christ, that Jesus is fully God. They would say he's fully man, but not fully God. I'm like, nope, you cannot have a Jesus that is not fully God. Otherwise, you don't have a sacrifice on the cross that counts to pay for our sins. 
This is the problem. I get worked up when it has to do with Jesus and salvation. There's a lot of other things I don't have to get worked up about. We can disagree. But how you get to a place of knowing Jesus, totally important. We argue, I go back and forth. I am not encouraged. By the end of it, I don't even go ride the Ferris wheel. I'm, I'm going home. I don't know enough. If I just knew more, if I just knew more, then that guy would have just fallen on his knees and said, oh, Jesus is God. Bless my heart. Bless my little 19-year-old heart. I was sure trying hard. But I'm here to tell you, it's not about knowing the answers. It's never going to be about knowing the answers. People don't care what you know till they know that you care. It's all about loving one another. Jesus was right when he gave us this command. We're supposed to love one another. And in the midst of that love relationship, then, then they'll be drawn in. It didn't go well. There's been a lot of times it hasn't gone well. But does that mean I stop sharing about Jesus? No. Why? Because I'm, I'm crazy about him. He's changed my life. I'm, not, I'm never going back. So, is it important to have good doctrine? Let's just, let me just clean up the edges here. Yes, we absolutely believe that we want people to learn what the Bible says and to be clear. But do you need to be the Bible answer man? No. By the way, I think Christians are like 3,000 verses overweight. I mean, if we just started doing more of the stuff that we knew, we don't, you guys don't need to know more stuff. Most of you who go to church on the regular, those of you who are new, keep coming. You need to probably learn some more things. Some of you need to start applying the word more. Probably all of us do. Well, let me talk about John 4 for a few minutes. I've talked about myself a little bit and my journey and some of the transformation I've seen in others, some of the mistakes I've made, and some of the things I've learned. But I was pondering about John 4 and I did a bunch of study on it and I felt like the Lord said, nope, don't go through that verse by verse, go a different direction. So I'm just gonna summarize a few things for you. John 4 contains the longest conversation that Jesus has in the gospels with any one individual. Sure, he talks for a while in John 3 with Nicodemus. There are others he has conversations with. But the woman at the well, this is the, one of the most stunning and beautiful passages in the entire Bible. I spent hours poring over it this week, and I'm richer for it. What's the synopsis of the story? Jesus is in the south with his disciples in Judea. And he says, we're going to go up to Galilee, our home base in Capernaum. Uh, but we've, it's necessary for us to go through Samaria. Samaria, they're saying. No, no, we don't do that. Why don't they do that? Well, first of all, if they were baptizing, and they were in John 3, around Jericho, it is much easier to follow the Jordan River straight up to Galilee. They built a road, by the way, a modern-day road. I can't remember what number the freeway is, but it's right there. If you go through Samaria, you've got two problems. The first one is Jews and Samaritans hated each other. We'll talk about that more in a minute. So they're like, ugh, not them. Major prejudice. Number two, Samaria goes like this. If you're hiking and you have an option for flat and straight, 
or like this, what do you choose? Flat and straight? Jesus is like, it's necessary for us to go that way. Jesus, I don't, I don't know what you're saying. I, I can see the disciples arguing with Jesus, especially Peter. Have you lost your mind? No, it's necessary for us to do this. They go through Samaria, they stop at Sychar. And they're there and Jacob's well is there. Jacob is, a, is one of the, the fathers, the patriarchs in the Old Testament. He established this well. Wells are a very significant place because you draw water out of them. Water is what makes everything live. There's many kingdom principles associated with that. The idea of living water versus dead water. By the way, living water is water that moves that you could drink and that will sustain you. Dead water is like pond water where it's all green and there's things growing and you probably don't want to drink that. And so this well was a place in this area had really broken away from the Jews. They were Jewish by blood, but they had adopted a lot of other practices and really didn't hold to the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They really believed in the, the patriarchy of elders continuing to give words and direction. There was a lot of tension between Jews and Samaritans. If you were a Jew, there were some rules or laws on the books that if you saved a Samaritan's life, you could actually be punished severely and vice versa. This is why the story of the Good Samaritan is so powerful. So Jesus arrives and sends his guys into town. He's hanging out at the well and a woman comes in the middle of the day on the, at the sixth hour. It's around noon. It's hot. You don't go draw water in the middle of the day. She's come to the to this place, and many people would say, because she is a woman of ill repute, but I would push you back to a message that my friend Catherine Redmond did quite a while back, which will reframe how you look at this woman. However, here is the well. They're connecting. And Jesus says, will you give me a drink? I'm a, I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew and I'm a woman and why are you talking to me and what's the deal? Some Pharisees would even say that if you asked a woman for a drink, you were acting like a pickup line that you're like flirting. It's kind of still true today, I guess. But Jesus isn't worried about his reputation. He's never been worried about his reputation. He's a friend of sinners. He's willing to push in. He's not going to acquiesce to us versus them. I don't know. They believe something different than me. They've got, they're, they belong to a different po political party than me. I don't, know, I don't think that they, we agree on everything. That doesn't bother Jesus. Jesus presses through, has this amazing divine conversation. And in the midst of it, offers living water, offers something that will be like a spring that wells up, a well that springs up water. She keeps getting distracted by what's in the natural. He keeps pushing it back to the supernatural and what's true. He has this genuine, easy conversation because he's not forcing anything. He's not expecting her to get down on her knees and just immediately repent and realize who he is. He's kind and just has the conversation. And as the conversation unfolds, it goes deeper and deeper and deeper to the point where Jesus finally says, he identifies himself. I, I know Messiah will tell us all things. He says, I am he. It's the one place in all the gospels where Jesus completely out loud, clearly says, yep, I'm that guy. 
And he says it to someone who's not a Jew, who's a woman, culturally would be so distant. I love the fact that Jesus models for us what a conversation looks like, where he disregards all of what the world says about norms and says, nope, you're the only person in the room. So he doesn't force the conversation. And the truth is, when I'm having a conversation with anyone, it's pretty easy to talk about Jesus because he's in the center of everything that I do. I don't have to force it. I don't have to make it weird. And what I'm convicted about as I give this message today is I'm not praying for opportunities. I'm looking for opportunities, but I'm not praying for them. I can guarantee you that sometimes we don't pray for opportunities because we're not sure we want to have one. You don't wake up in the morning and go, Jesus, I really want to tell somebody about you today. I'm convicted about that. I need to be asking God for opportunities. They're all around me. I'm looking for them, but I need to be praying for them. How about you? So Jesus is sowing seeds in the heart of the woman And the rest of the story, and you could look at it on your own, is beautiful. She decides, she goes back to town. She tells everybody about Jesus. And then there's like this revival that happens in that city. And Jesus stays for two days. Incredible things happen in that city. Because one was reached. And sometimes I think, for those of us who are passionate about telling others about Jesus, we miss the one and we try to shoot for the many. When the one is the one that Jesus is calling us to. The one that, it's that divine opportunity. It's because you wear that goofy sweatshirt. It's because something came up in conversation. It's because someone asked you what you're doing today. I love it when the people at the cafe ask me on a Sunday, so what are you doing today? I'm like, (laughs) you asked. Well, you know what? I'm a pastor down the street and I'm gonna talk about this and I give them a little mini version of the message you would be amazed at how many times you see all the baristas go, I'm pretending like I'm not listening, but I'm really listening. And they look at me a little bit different when I walk out, and I don't mean like, why? Because I'm sowing seeds. A few years ago, there was a guy named Dan Whittemore. I started a little email relationship with him a little while back. He wrote a song called Little bitty seeds. God's word is like little bitty seeds scattered all around. God's word is like little bitty seeds scattered all around. Some on the road, some in the weeds. But everywhere you look, you find little bitty seeds. God's word is like little bitty seeds scattered all around. Anybody ever hear that song? I know Barry Cup has, for sure. I am a seed scatterer. Wherever I go, I scatter seeds everywhere. But every once in a while... When I see this little little thing sprout up, that's when I need to pay attention and go, there's a conversation to be had here. I just really believe that Jesus changes lives radically. And I don't know if you share that belief with me. And if you don't think that Jesus has the power to heal, the power to deliver you, that he can give you the strength to fight off addiction, to give you hope when you're hopeless, to provide for your needs when you're desperate for finance. You're never gonna tell people about him. You're just not. 
So I guess this morning, I really wanted to convince you that Jesus really is real. He really is good. He really comes through and he walks with us. He never leaves us or forsakes us. And I was going to show you a little clip from The Chosen, but just come on on Tuesday night. You can watch it. Mary Magdalene in, the, in this clip, this, this verse in Luke 8 talks about her being healed or cured of evil spirits and diseases. In this case, Mary had seven demons come out. That might kind of freak you out, but as one who's seen this kind of stuff before, I can say, oh, it's real, 100% real. And she gets set free. And in this clip, she just says, says, I was one way before Jesus, and now I'm another. And the only thing in between was him. And I'm never gonna be the same. So if you have never surrendered your life to Jesus, I just wanna explain how to do this briefly before we close. And I wanna do this for two reasons. Some of you have not heard this before, so you need to hear it. Some of you have heard it before, but you need to hear it again because the statistics say you need to hear this about six or seven times before you're probably ready to respond to it. But third, some of you need to see a way to share the good news of Jesus Christ. There's a million ways. InterVarsity has an amazing four circles way to share the gospel. But I'm just gonna share a couple verses from Romans. And sometimes people call this the Romans road. It's kind of a simple thing with a few verses that you could learn and share with someone. So Isaiah 59 says this. Our sins have separated us from God. It's like we're standing on one side of the Grand Canyon and God's on the other. And I grew up a fan of Evil Knievel. If you're old enough to know who Evil Knievel was, he was one who wanted to ride his motorcycle over the Snake River Canyon. I don't think he made it, if I recall. I think he broke like every bone in his body. But the idea is that we've been separated from God. It's like this big chasm, this canyon. And no matter what a good motorcycle rider you are or how much you do, you can't bridge that gap to get to God. Our sins have separated us from God. Who has sinned? Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all blown it. I don't think I have to convince you that we've all blown it. We've all hurt other people. We've all been selfish. We've done things that we're, but we'd be ashamed of. If, if, my, movie, if my life was up on the big movie screen today, there would be parts that I'd be really ashamed for you to see. That's sin. So we have this sin problem as if it's a terminal illness. It ends in death. And death meaning separation from God, not only for this life, but forever in a place called hell. Romans 6, 23 then says this. The wages of sin or the penalty of sin is death, separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there is a gift that's being offered to us of life forever. Jesus at John 4 talked about this like life is like wells of springs of living water coming out of us. Jesus promises us and invites us into life to the fullest, life abundant. That's why he said, I, can't, I have come that you might have life and life to the fullest. And so the, there is an offer of life, this gift of life, and yet, Ephesians 2 says we can't earn it or deserve it. It doesn't matter what a good motorcycle rider you are to try to get across. It doesn't matter how many good things to build a bridge. It's too far. It's too much. No amount of good deeds will get you to heaven. This is the biggest thing that we face is people think, 
I'm a good person. I'm just going to go to heaven. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me or by me. Jesus is really exclusive. He says, I'm the only way. Not all roads lead to heaven. Narrow is the road that makes it to life. So there is this penalty for our sin. We're all heading the wrong direction. But God, Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, we were still messed up, Christ died for us. He sends Jesus to be fully God and fully man. To die on the cross, to give himself as a penalty, as a payment for the penalty for our sins. Paid. Literally when he dies, he says, to tell us die, which means it is finished, which was the accounting term that was stamped on a receipt that said it is paid in full. Our sins were paid for. The penalty was paid for at the cross. The work was completed right there and offered to us this gift. But we've got to receive this gift. We've got to choose in to his kingdom. And that's where Romans 10, 9 and 10 come in. And it says this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. In other words, he's my boss. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and you're justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and you are saved. Now, when you see believe here, you think, I believe in George Washington. That's intellectual assent. But in the Greek, this word means to trust, to fully rely on. To believe means to fully, fully put your weight on something. So imagine Jesus building a bridge across from God to us and says, come on out. You can trust me. And his body is the bridge. Trusting Jesus means stepping out on the bridge, a little bit like Indiana Jones in that third movie. And Was it going to hold me? I don't know, but I'm betting my life on it. That's the belief that this is talking about. This is a surrender moment. And who does this work for? Last verse, Romans 10, 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You might say, ah, no, this doesn't apply to me. I've done too many bad things. No, I need to kind of like do some penance and work it off. Nope, nope, and nope. So the offer to you is life and life to the fullest. The offer to you is if you receive this, you fully rely and trust in it. You turn from your ways and you follow Jesus he will then give you a gift of his Holy Spirit. He will begin to change you from the inside out and your life will become an adventure that you had never seen before. Does it mean that all of your pain goes away? Heck no. But it means that you've got someone who's always going to be with you, never gonna leave you. Promise a hope and a future and life now and forever. So I'm gonna put a, a prayer up on the screen. There are no magic words to surrender to Jesus. These are my words that I came up with this morning because I always pray about it way too much and then I stress about it. Lord, I want to have the right words, but it's okay. And these words are for you. And I'm gonna pray this prayer and you're more than welcome to pray it with me quietly right, right where you are. If you wanna surrender to Jesus, Jesus, I know that you, I have broken your laws and my sin has separated me from you. I confess my sin to you 
I ask you to forgive me. Jesus, I believe you died to pay the penalty for my sins. Thank you for showing your love for me when I was far from you. So I choose, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I want you to make me a new person from the inside out. Give me a gift of your Holy Spirit living inside me and lead me for all my days. Thank you for giving me your life to the fullest for today and forever. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or even if you're in a space like I was when I was a teenager where you just said, I need to say yes to Jesus again. I need a fresh start. Man, this is a day, this is a day of surrender for me. I'd love for you to come and just tell me that today. Just afterwards, I'll be right down here in front. Not to make a big production about it, but if you've done this for the first time, I, I would love to try to help you. We would love to try to help you grow in this relationship. This is not just a, I'm gonna get my gym membership and now I'm on to something else. No, this is a full surrender to Jesus and a choosing to do life differently. And we wanna help you. We wanna walk with you. We wanna be a guide on the side like so many others have been for me. So if that was you, we would love for you. I'd love for you to come and let me know about it so we can put some things in motion. Would you stand if you're in the house? We'd love to, just, I just wanna pray a quick blessing on you. Totally different message today. Completely different. I'll be a, it'll be a different one next week. I can promise you that. If you're on the stream, I'm believing that God is moving and working in your life right now. Just because you're watching on a screen doesn't mean that God isn't present. You can feel something different right now in the room. And I just want to affirm the fact that you're sensing God around you. That little tingly feeling, that's God. And so I want to encourage you to reach out. If you prayed this prayer, if you're in a decision place, put something in the chat. Or if it's after the fact, if it's not live, uh, send us an email, info at nchico.org. Let us know about what you're deciding, where you're at. We'd love to call you, pray for you, uh, find ways to help you grow as well. Jesus, I pray a blessing on our family in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I believe that you're doing new things in our midst. I believe that you're bringing people to Christ today, that people are surrendering today. And I'm thankful, God, for what you have been doing to pave the way that this was their moment. And so I pray that this would be, this moment would be etched in their mind and that you would give them assurance of their salvation. Help them understand that you are finishing God and you come through. And so I pray a blessing on us that we would smell like Jesus when we walk in the room, that we would share about what he's doing in our life and we would be so natural about it. It would be an overflow of passion in our relation, love relationship instead of duty. Thank you for what you've shared with us in the Gospels. And we, I bless this family in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks so much for coming here in the house or on the stream. We'll see you next week.